Welcome everybody to the Real Thrills Podcast. As always, I am here with Eric. This is Jay, and we are doing The Thing, a 1982 film by John Carpenter, a movie that I've never seen until this weekend, and uh, kind of sad that I missed it. Seemed like a seemed like a something I because of the special effects maybe I thought it was a little too campy maybe I have no idea I just never saw it and then when I saw it again it was pretty pretty epic pretty awesome especially for 1982 uh yeah um my first watch as well and it was a lot different than what I was expecting I think it kind of um when you see the name, it kind of, and like, again, John Carpenter, it's like you kind of get the impression like it's the fog or it's more kind of a mystery sort of thing or like the birds. And I feel like this was more like an action horror alien film. And yeah. very cool. It was it was awesome. Um, obviously, John Carpenter, I hope, you know, most of our uh, horror fans who listen know exactly who that is. And uh, so I was, I was all geared up. I was like, "Great, John Carpenter film!" And this was reported to be like one of his favorite films that he ever did. Correct. And so, and it really plays out. It was, it was an hour and forty eight minutes. And to be honest with you, I did break it up in two watchings. I watched like half, and then I just like, all right, I, I got to go to bed. Uh, and then I, re, you know, you know, picked up where I left off the next day. But which was fine. Like I said, an hour and forty eight minutes. But to be honest, if it flowed. It was very good. It kept you involved because of the great acting. There's famous people in it. At the time, I, it was probably pretty mind blowing who some of these names were for us. You know, as you know, I was born in '82, and you know, uh, only name I kind of really knew right going in was Kurt Russell. You know, that was that was yeah. kind of it. But huge name. I mean, if you go over his IMBD or whatever, you go into his history. Uh, what a what a phenomenal actor, and he was he was right there on the forefront of this movie, and right off the heels of uh, Escape from New York with John Carpenter, which was also a very excellent movie for sure. And uh, you know, you would think that this movie would have just taken off and been this like awesome movie at the time. It had a fifteen million dollar budget. What did you say? Barely broke even. I think it did like nineteen million. So like. All in all, it I mean, you make $4 million, nothing to sneeze at, but for the budget, like, I don't know, the return on investment probably wasn't No, no. In, in all aspects of that, if you're if you're comparing those numbers, it was, it was a flop. Like, that's kind of what everyone said. The critics really uh, were bullshit about it, which, to be honest, I don't want critics looking at horror movies and trying to give their opinions because I, don't, I really don't think it fits. You know, like we're we're there for entertainment and horror and to scare you. And and at the time in 1982, I think some of these special effects that I even saw in 2021, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like it's pretty awesome. You know, like oh, oh what they did with some of the makeup. And I learned that uh, the makeup artist in this, Rob Botten, sure, uh, he was only 22 years old. Yeah, and he, I think he kind of created like what I think everyone else ended up striving to do was like, like you need to like match this quality. You know, yeah, he was kind of like a trendsetter. He's 22 years old. John Carpenter looked at this guy and was like, you know what? I want you in my movie and, uh, 
I thought at the time, you know, again, if you look at it in today's lens, yeah, it was super campy and cheesy, but that's what they said even in 82. And I was like, whoa, 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 time out. Like, this was pretty cool. Like, the things that they were doing, you never really saw. I mean, Aliens had those aspects in it. Um, and that's what they kept comparing it to Ridley Scott's alien. And I was like, yeah. I guess it's kind of looks like it's in that genre, but I, they looked at it through the wrong lens. Yeah. But I think Carpenter said like, he doesn't, he didn't want to do something that it was like easily identified as like man in suit playing like the alien. It was like, this was way out there in terms yeah. of like how they created the thing was like, a fucking amoeba you know what i mean it just had like all these shapes and things and like it it played really well and the fact that they could have it take shape in any creature including that husky yeah like pretty cool yeah so let's back up here so john carpenter film 1982 i think it was like 92 percent on rotten tomatoes yeah, again, like I, think I mean, it was, people, people. I think people nowadays. It's a great movie. Everybody, go watch it if you haven't seen it. I mean, that, we're we're jumping off right off the ropes here and just saying it was great. You know, it was really done well. Yeah, I opinion. think it's just like it's hard because I think if this movie just came out, then you would think it was a great film. But I feel like a lot of people compared it to previous films in horror in terms of like, or even John Carpenter himself, right? So like again, you're talking about like Halloween. With like a three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollar budget, Friday the Thirteenth, maybe a six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollar budget, and these films were grossing like sixty million dollars. So you're talking about like that's a hit when you spent no money and it made a ton of money. This movie like had such a bigger budget. Like again, you you could have made fifteen Friday the Thirteenth with this film, 30. <laughs> right? And so you know, like did did we do enough justice? Like was was the money worth it um, in terms well, of how it was spent? Right. So if that's how the critics and that's how the people looked at it through that lens of like, well, you spent all this money, this should have been an awesome film. Wrong. Like I don't think you look at it that way. Look at it the way it was written, directed. Uh, even though, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the score later, but the way it was all kind of put together, I was like, it was a pretty good movie overall. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the budget um, and I think we kind of became desensitized to the fact that there was a lot of like explosions and flames and gunshots and all these things happening like for special effects. I think there was so much of it that you kind of got desensitized to it. So you forgot about it. You know, like I think we talked about this, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we watched Friday the 13th part six is like the scene where the the RV tips over and lights on fire like was the coolest thing in the world but like they had like 15 of those in this movie and right. at a point you're like you're not talking about it because it happens so frequently and, and I don't know how many flame throwers did they have in this six I, I, I mean, I, everyone, I had, uh, everyone had a backpack. Yeah, like on. these dudes are like making s'mores with a flamethrower. Like Ghostbusters <laughs> with flamethrowers. Yeah. Um, no, and, and also we, there was a 15-person cast. You have to pay those guys. And, you know, we're talking 82, but I mean, even if they were paid $500,000 each, there goes half your budget. So yeah. it kind of makes sense. You know, you had, you had a big cast, and at the time, at the time, big names. And, you know, Wilford Brimley. You know, t to name one, uh, people are probably like, who the hell's that? It's Quaker Oats He's guy. He's from Cocoon. <laughs> yeah. Look him up on Google. <laughs> <laughs> Quaker Oats guy. No, man. Um, Kurt Russell, obviously. Uh, Keith David. 
it was his first movie, but he, you know, TK Carter, which was a comedian, he probably didn't get paid a lot, but these are names that you're watching this movie and you're like, wow, they all had big careers after this. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of like identifying, like, oh, I know that person from, and like, it's one of those that you're going to like, you're going to Google after and try to like look through the cast yeah, and go Ke- like, oh, what else were they in? Keith David, we already talked about this in our show notes. He is the dad in, there's something about Mary. Yeah. How, he's the one who says, how'd you get the beans above Frank? Yeah. So pretty iconic for our genre, you know, our, our age group of, of, of uh, dads in a movie. Uh, and obviously if you don't know who Kurt Russell is, uh, I'm sorry, like epic actor. Um, one that stood out to me cause I love the movie from the eighties, a uh, license to drive is, uh, I think it's, uh, Richard Mazur. Yeah, um, he dad. played the dad, uh, and Corey, Corey Haim steals his car to go out on this crazy night of joy riding. Um, and anyway, I like recognize him from that, which is a pretty, he was also movie. in it on the TV version with, Eddie, with, uh, Tim Curry. He was the adult version of, I forget his name, and I'm not fat shaming here, but he was the chubby kid. When they were kids, he like moved into town, and when he grew up in the in in the uh, It series part two, he was the adult version of him. Oh, got it. Okay. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm totally wrong. He was the one that kept holding his ear. And would repeat. He died in the tub, if you remember. He got, okay. He slid his own wrists. Got it. He was. Uh, anyway, he he. And I forgot what he his, also played. Phil Sultanfuss from My Girl too. So. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't even know who that who that is. He played Dan Aykroyd's brother in My Girl too. <laughs> the oh, like her uncle or something. I th- I guess what Jay and I are trying to do right now is we're trying to justify the fact that Jay said big names, and so far we're <laughs> we're kind of falling a little short. You're like, yeah, he played the second brother in that Fox sitcom that lasted one season. <laughs> but anyway, point is, you'll recognize them even if it's in a minor way. Um, maybe there's a doppelganger in there somewhere, but uh, um, big big cast, big number of cast. <laughs> if you're in our age group, 35 and over, you'll see these faces and be like, yeah, I remember them in this, that, and the other thing. Like, that's just going to happen naturally. Yep. So, You're going to be doing a lot of Googling on this one. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let's go quickly to the synopsis right now. Uh, I think you mentioned it in our notes. This movie's old, and there's tons of information on the internet. We're not here to dive too much into that because it's already been done. Right. Um, but let's talk about the synopsis. In my mind, it's Predator before Predator. Go. Yeah, uh, in general, it's uh, what these folks um, that are part of a science operation experiment in Antarctica during winter. And well, that I, was dumb. Yeah, right off the rip. Uh, it kind of starts out where you see um, a alien spaceship landing somewhere, and then it kind of goes into the credits, and then you see. Um, yeah, it's like these guys that are all working in this on the science experiment. Um, these this random guy, uh, Norwegian guy, um, is trying to shoot at a dog that's running back to their base. That's one of their dogs. Then um, they end up having to shoot him in the head. Then they go to investigate the Norwegian base to see why this why this guy was chasing this dog and shooting at them. Um, and the whole base is like 
totally lit up. It was on fire, um, tons of destruction there. And then they are very concerned with like all the dead bodies they're finding there. And then that's when they find that there is a spaceship somewhere near the base that's like buried way down low. And they estimate that it's been there for like a hundred thousand years. Yeah. So you're uncovering some information, you know, like that's probably why the Norwegians were there doing their science. Yeah, and they're like, oh, it looks like it kind of got defrosted somehow and something looks a little bit afoot. Um, they go back to base and then they realize that, I guess, the dog that he was shooting at uh, turns into this weird, like, alien kind well, of being. Yeah, what they did, well, well, I guess they were, they saw all the dead bodies, the carnage, and they left and they saw these mysterious things, these holes in the ground. And, yeah, all sorts and of And then they took all their data and brought it back. And then when they saw it, they that's how they discovered. Oh, yeah, they brought back the, the that weird. Like these films and whatever. They well, were, they, they brought back that corpse that was outside, that weird, yeah. like, there was some sort of like weird spidery human looking thing that they brought back that was dead. That looked like it had been. Yeah, flamed. they started connecting the dots very quickly. Hey, they're scientists doing some kind of experiment in Antarctica. Why not? So they want to bring study back a bunch for an of autopsy. Yeah, why not yeah. study a bunch of Norwegians? Yeah, um, and then uh, basically, long story short, they find that um, this alien being that was inside the dog can mutate and take the form of other uh, other living creatures. And it sort of like mimics their DNA and then takes over their body. Um, and with this information that Dr. Blair finds out, they decide that this is something that is spreading and there's likely somebody that's infected in their group. Ooh, so it another, kind of becomes a whodunit in a sense yeah, where they're all looking at each movie, other, yeah. trying to figure out who's infected, who's not. And they come up with this brilliant plan to do these blood panel tests, blood plasma tests or whatever, and see um, if uh, any of the folks that are still there are infected. And then they're all kind of arguing with each other. They start pointing at each other, segregating each other. And then um, finally they kind of narrow it down and then film ends with a bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah. And I, I think with the, um, what I liked about it is that fire was the way to kill this thing from outer space, this alien, which oh, yeah. which I thought was pretty unique. And I think, now, maybe you did the research. I just know that this is based on a book, a science fiction novel that was, or a movie that was done in the 50s. Yep. So this was kind of a a remake through the lens, like through John Carpenter's eyes. Right. Which... That's why I thought it was genius. You got this horror movie. I think it turned from a sci-fi movie to sci-fi action horror right away because Carpenter was attached to it. Um, anything else on that? Uh, anything else? Any other notes about uh, the movie? No, I just say in general, like synopsis-wise, like it's kind of a, a whodunit, you know, like similar to what you'd see in like a zombie film where everyone's like, who got bit? Who's going to turn into a zombie? kind of the same thing here with lots of surprises that happen along the way and a lot of kind of comical elements to it. But um, yeah, I think that kind of sums it up. And all right, so we'll jump right into the segment number one, opening scene. And like I mentioned right off the rip, uh, you, you start in space. It's Predator <laughs> before Predator. Um, so that that's as soon as I saw it, because I saw Predator first, I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is, this, I like where this is going, right? You had a spaceship, goes to Earth, 
and we're off. Now we're in Antarctica, and you're watching this helicopter fly over trying to shoot a dog or a husky. And, and by the way, who this sharpshooter? No, this no, he, no, he is, I think that was the point. It's a scientist on a helicopter who who can't shoot for shit. I have that all over my nose. So like this guy couldn't hit water. You know, like falling out of a boat. No, on there. I mean, he shot probably like. 50 times and then by the end he's throwing grenades <laughs> yes i was like this guy is the worst that's, that's all i was thinking yes for yeah for those who like if you for those who watch horror films or any film and you don't want to see an animal get hurt um yeah don't worry about the beginning of this scene i'm like on the edge of my seat like are they going to shoot this poor husky and then you start seeing the wild shots and you're like nope not no, worried about it at all <laughs> well first of all this guy's hanging out of a helicopter i was like obviously he's not in the army this guy has no idea what he's doing and he's just shooting randomly into the snow all right so it was it was definitely a comical scene uh right right off the rip uh but what i will will say as soon as like you start seeing antarctica right you got the the score starts coming in with the drums and what i heard was Doom, doom. Yep. Doom, doom. Like, doom, right? Yep. And the way that it was beating, there was a D. Like, can you tell me about that? Like, it wasn't like boom, boom. It was doom, doom. Um, I mean, boom, 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 doom, doom, doom. Um, yeah, it kind of it reminded me a little bit of um, that uh, effect they do on uh, Dark Side of the Moon where they try to make it sound like a heartbeat. So it's definitely like this... Um, this rhythmic and i don't know if it's the the do do is coming from like the actual transient of this of this sound or they've actually like sampled something on top of it to kind of give it that sound but it was super ominous obviously and what i heard was doom doom so something bad's going to happen right like jaws yeah yeah and it so the that right there, I was like, oh, cool. And then my first inclination before I took my notes, I was like, oh, John Carpenter at it again. But we found out that it, was, it, it wasn't John Carpenter, <laughs> but we'll get into that in the soundtrack and in later segments. But uh, so anything else for the opening scene? You got you got this helicopter shooting at a dog. I, I, I do love the scene of uh, when they finally show you like the barracks of the camp and uh, Kurt Russell's playing... Uh, chess against a computer that is definitely the oldest computer i've ever seen and he's he's sort of like talking shit to it and he loses and then just dumps beer on like the circuit board and it just shorts out it's like all right you kind of get you're kind of getting a little bit character development of kurt russell he's kind of like you know the drunk detective or something and in those like cop movies like you kind of get that vibe from him but uh he turns out to be uh kind of the the anti-hero so to speak in the film um all right let's go next segment as always the drop when shit gets real i have two first the dog that comes back right yep um he's kind of like hiding underneath the pool table and then the drums come back again doom doom as they're like panning around the room, like people are all kind of like, Hey, what, what was that all about? And they're all still talking about it. And the dog is like, you know, kind of like underneath the pool table to me, I was kind of like, 
All right, the, the drums are coming back. We're focusing on this dog. And if anyone knows anything about horror movies and, 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 and animal senses, this dog is telling us right there that shit's about to get real. Yep. Now, you can get into a bloody scene, and this movie's got a ton. I thought that was more of the cinematography version of foreshadowing of yeah. something bad's going to happen. Dog's got senses. That dog's acting funny. It just got shot, and it's like yeah. Why okay, was the scientist so gung ho on shooting this dog? And he was and he was okay. You know, it was all all sorts of things that I'm just like something something's up with that dog, right? And uh, that that. That was kind of it. There was another scene, too, where I thought was a drop, but I didn't learn it until after the movie when I was taking some notes. Uh, and we'll get into it in the soundtrack, but the uh, Stevie Wonder song, Superstition. Yep. Somebody is in a room that was close to the dog, and you just see a shadow, but you also kind of know the dog kind of walks by, stops, looks into the room. There's an in, There's an interaction there that you're like, Whoever that is in that room has been affected. Yep. And the dog's been affected. So they're like, they're looking at each other like, shit's about to go down. So th- that, yep. that's another candidate for me as like, the song lays perfectly, you know, Superstition by Stevie Wonder. Yep. You have the lyrics or you can go over that in the soundtrack. I'm going to sing uh, it at the end of the show. Yeah. It fits very well. <laughs> If, if anyone else knows the lyrics. But to me, those were the scenes where I'm like, you got to just follow the dog, man. The dog knows shit's about to get real. Anything else? Do you have a bloody scene? I hope, did, you know. I yeah, have, my, my drop was when the dog actually turns into that, like, fucking spider oh, yeah. demogorgon thing. I, I, yeah. The Number three, the dog turning into the thing. <laughs> it was just like, whoa, here we what go. What a crazy scene that is. Like, again, I, I think what I like about the film in general is this kind of, like, quiet, like mystery into like these outrageous like scenes when the thing actually comes out. So it's like the whole time you're anticipating for the next thing moment to happen and yeah. they just keep escalating and getting better and better. But there again, there's this, there's a lot of downtime in the film, but in a way that's good because it, it, it's character development. It's the mystery piece, which I think a lot of people like. So you kind of get that, a little bit of that thriller. And then there's also like a lot of action elements. So I feel like you, you kind of have to like this movie uh, yeah, like we said, flamethrowers, <laughs> bombs, explosions, How can you not dynamite, like grenades. I mean, they had it all. Spaceships. Come on, man. They had it all. It was great, great, great action. Yeah, and there's lots of like uh, camaraderie and, and everyone's bros and they all are <laughs> trying to fight the good fight, but then they all turn on each other pretty quickly. Yeah, all, all bros in this movie. So for all of you who are... Uh, Hoping to see a female taking a shower and getting killed by the thing? Nope. Not in this one. Uh, sorry, fellas. Um, favorite death scene? Uh, <laughs> Windows gets some serious head. Uh, that was that was my uh, my uh, my tagline there. Uh, Windows, uh, which <laughs> looked like just a DJ on this freaking uh, scientist uh, experiment, but he was more of the radio guy yeah. trying to communicate. But he looked like a DJ right away. He wore sunglasses the whole time, thus the name Windows, and um, he just pretty much got lifted up by his neck by the thing. After it took over another guy named Palmer and just opens its head up and bites Windows' head. Like, doesn't rip it off or anything, but just, like, 
pretty much deep throats his head. So there's a lot of uh, <laughs> uh, sexual content, but not really. <laughs> it's just, just that's what it looked like. The guy's head was getting ripped off or tried to get ripped off. So that was my favorite. Windows get meeting his demise. Not um, a lot of deaths. I mean, you, there's yeah, a lot of yeah, like. Yeah. I, I, I kind of had two, but I, I'll be honest with you. Like I wrote in the very beginning that I liked um, Benning's death. But I honestly don't remember it now. <laughs> I, I didn't write the context of how Bennings died. Um, but I wrote that I liked it. I think you actually don't see him get killed. You just see him when he turns into the thing. So we'll skip that. But um, at an hour and 15 minutes in, so it takes a long time for this, but Norris. Norris is the one who like really turns into that fucked up, crazy spider person with the head oh, that, when his head that falls sprouts off. legs and crawls away oh, yeah. like that whole scene is just awesome epic and that's where you go you know in my opinion watching this in 1982 you're like people at the time thought it was campy i'm like this was phenomenal like what movie was doing this no nothing like this 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 created that campy horror genre of just like craziness that happens in horror like b movies or whatever i think if i watched that in 82 in the theaters like i would have shit myself like <laughs> i thought that scene was excellent like yeah i didn't cringe one i was just like what it just goes to show you this thing is completely from another planet and it's like it will do anything and move mutate into anything and it was like i'm i'm like you said i'm all on board what's the next thing he's gonna this thing is gonna turn into and do yeah like, like i'm all on board we're, yeah we're we're talking about like we're watching this with 2021 goggles on you know, like we've seen everything at this point. You know, there's like fucking yeah, but I haven't seen this movie, and I watched it. I was like, "Whoa, this is completely yeah." Fucked. So like, <laughs> it's like I've seen porn in 4K, and now, <laughs> and now I'm watching the thing from 1982, going like that scene was awesome and like really well done, and the yeah. cinematography and the effects and everything were like it made me say, "Wow, this had something going back then," and I'm surprised that people took it as campy or like it was it just it, that was i don't get robert ebert is that is that you don't fuck him yeah ex if, exactly because he says on the uh in one of his uh quotes to this movie of how bad that stuff was done and how cheesy it looked at the time and i was like that's why you can take your bow tie was he the one with the bow tie you know what I don't even know. He Take your bow tie and shove it up your ass, because it's like I don't need you, cr you know, crit you know, criticizing this movie, because it was a horror movie. Like, stay in your own lane and do dramas or something, buddy. Like, stay yeah, away exactly. from this one. Let this one be. This is perfect. This is this is what we as horror people want to see. Like, we want to see something completely outrageous happen. We want to be like wowed and like taken aback. We do. Agree. I, I thought it was very different and unique, and I, I have still no, is to this day. You, you hit it yeah. on the head. It's still like you'll watch and you're just like, whoa, that was pretty uh, ahead of its time. Like, so there's another version, 2011. They did this, or like a remake. I haven't seen it, but yeah, I haven't seen it either. So I think I'm going to, you know, dial that up here in the next few days. So like, I'm, I'm curious. Quite the shoes I, to fill. Right. I'm like, I, I wonder how bad it's going to be. Like, I, it can't be better than this. I want to look it up because I'm kind of curious to see like who played who in it. Kurt um, Russell's back in it. He was just looking for work. 
I'm looking at the cast now, and I'm already disappointed. So, oh man, oh, but it, there is a female in it, so I guess th- that's different. Yeah, it needed a shower scene. Yep, it could have used one. Yeah, you know, hate to be that guy, but um, let's just go into well, that was dumb. Segment number four, one of our favorites. All right, uh, this is not in order. Underdressed in Antarctica. Just I was like, I don't know. I felt like everyone was underdressed. I was like, <laughs> it's it's fucking cold, like negative forty degrees, and these guys are wearing like sweatpants outside. And then there was this huge winter storm coming, and you know, and 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 again, internet told me this. I'm you know, I'm just telling you all, flamethrowers will not work in Antarctica. Too cold. Okay, good to know. Gas will freeze. You ever seen uh, the day after tomorrow when that uh, fuel jet engine like freezes because uh, and the, and then the helicopter just crashes down because uh, like you know global warming just like froze the helicopter. But do they have to use gas? Could they use kerosene? Is that does that go to a lower temp? Either way, I don't think it would light or trigger or anything. I think it's just too cold, too cold in Antarctica for a flamethrower. That's. That's, well, so that's the, what the we, internet's telling me. Let's just end the podcast now. There's no point going on. <laughs> the flamethrower's all I had. <laughs> yeah. um, a Norwegian can't shoot for shit. That was that was definitely, well, that was dumb. Uh, and why is there a noose in the prison shed with Dr. Blair? Yeah, I kind of thought like I was he like, put that together. Did he do that so he can kill himself? Or did they put him in there and suggest that you kill yourself? They probably did. They probably like, <laughs> if, you, if you're getting the inkling that you're getting a little uh, tickle somewhere and uh, you're, an alien's going to pop out of your We're fucking- just going to put this noose over here. I, it was so funny because you're watching the scene. You're like looking through this hole that Kurt Russell's trying to have a conversation. And right next to Dr. Blair, which is Wilford Brimley, uh, there's a noose just hanging down. And I'm like, why is that noose there? Like what? What was it always there, or is it there now? I don't know. That was dumb. Yep. Uh, Unfortunately, there's more, but I, I just those were the ones that I had. Um, I've got um, <laughs> Kurt Russell's uh, sombrero that he wore. Oh my god! <laughs> what the fuck is that? that? Ten gallon hat that was kind of yeah. bent. <laughs> it looked like a pilot sombrero. Is what you know, I called it. Who's the um? <laughs> Looney Tunes character, the uh, Yosemite Sam, not oh, clo- yes, but who the um, Speedy Gonzalez, who is his uh, brother, Slowpoke Rodriguez? Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, so Slowpoke slow Rodriguez would have a hat like that, he yep. does have a hat like that. So, if anyone wants to. Look at Looney Tunes. This Kurt Russell is wearing. His yeah, it looks like hat. he would have tipped it down so he could like stay drunk on the on in an alleyway somewhere and no one recognize him. Like that's. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Cam Newton wore that hat uh, after a press conference <laughs> once. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that hat is in. Uh, for sure. Yeah, it has it had a couple Taylor Swift vibes to it too. <laughs> yeah, I think you could take some of this fashion and and put it into uh, uh, Northampton and you'd be fine. It's already there. Yeah. So anyway, go on. Um, bringing that strange alien being back to camp and thawing it out—that was pretty dumb. Um, I don't know. Going into that camp and investigating it, like it, while it's on fire, they're like flying over. 
Yeah, why didn't they just like they? All right, uh, they're dead. I'm out of here. Like the only <laughs> thing I could assume is that they thought that Norwegian had like cabin fever, and that's why he was probably there going nuts. But then, like, what were you expecting to find when you went back to the camp? Like, were we going to find more cabin fever Norwegians, or what? What was he expecting? Like. It, weird that they went there in general, but okay, they were bored. I guess they had nothing else to do. Yeah, right. Um, they poured a tremendous amount of kerosene on everything before they used the flamethrower. Like the flamethrower did its job on its own. We don't need to pour like fifty-five gallons of kerosene on everything in order for it to burn. Yeah, if you like a pyromaniac or anything, this movie's like. Porn, yeah. <laughs> for you. Sorry, you know it's 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 got it's got flamethrowers, masculinity out the wazoo. Yep, and just kerosene and oh, bombs. Oh, it's, it's and oozing machismo. <laughs> yeah. To quote Razor Ramon, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and the last one I have is uh, when Mac. Uh, is accused of being the thing because they find some of his clothing in an old furnace. Um, he comes back and he's like. Anyone tries to to touch me, like I'm gonna blow blow everyone up. He's so he's got like this this stick of dynamite, and he also has a flamethrower, or no, he's got a, a flare, and he's holding these things like two inches from each other. I'm like, yeah, right. what are you doing? Like I'm sitting there like sweating bullets because he's holding this like, you know, he's like chatting with it, and he's got these two things that are basically touching in his hands, and I'm like, how is this not already lit? You know, <laughs> like this is. Uh, it was yeah, a little too, bit much too, for me. Too close for comfort. Absolutely. Uh, I don't. I don't know if this is well. That was dumb, but I thought it was very interesting, and and uh, it, it was part of the trivia. Um, in 1982, uh, this movie came out. Obviously, like we mentioned, but uh, so the McEnready is his name, right? Uh, McCready. McCready. Yeah. Oh God. McEnready. You're writing your own movie over yeah, here. Yeah. I. I uh, I butchered that. But anyway, so he, he went by Mac, and then there was a guy with sunglasses named Windows. Mac and Windows, right? Apple oh, versus Windows. Yep. And in 1982, these are the major computer conglomerates as well as today, right? Uh, in concept, you know, like, it didn't match. Like, it was just a very unique thing that happened. Yep. So I was always, they, they kind of said that in some of the trivia notes that I was looking up. I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. Mac and Windows, they were like two characters in this, and they were kind of, not that they were after each other or anything, but it was just, it was, it was funny to see, you know, like Windows and Mac. Yeah. And then their butler, uh, Mr. Jeeves, that was also, <laughs> no, it's kidding. All right. That didn't really, that happen. was, uh, Wilbur Brimley. <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely Jeeves. Yeah. For sure. Um, next segment, what would you do? Obviously, you're going over to the Norwegian camp. You see that alien. I think you kind of said, well, that was dumb. Uh, as soon as I saw a dead person, I think fried, I just kind of turn around and be like, I'm all set here. No need to see more. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, like let's, you're scientists. You're not, they, they almost act like they're these like, War veterans. We that are need going to know what's happening here. Like, yeah, no, you like, don't. Just a couple it's a nerd alert scientists, and you're going there invest, and you see all these dead bodies and stuff, and you're like, oh, let's keep going. So I know it kind of parlays into that's dumb, but what would you do? I'd just be like, hey, as as soon as I make that flight, see everything's burnt down, people are burnt to a crisp. I'm not asking any questions. I'm out. I'm out. I'm calling the army. The problem is they got important information from that camp i guess and really created the movie but uh i digress i'm out i'm yeah, out of there I I, i'm just going back to my camp and 
shit still would have went down, but at least I'm getting out of there. I see that spaceship. I'm calling like everyone <laughs> in the world to be like, get down here. We discovered the spaceship and we want to, you know. Well, yeah, and they kind of like misery. They prefaced it where there's big storms coming, so right. you're all locked down. And that's kind of, and they were trying to communicate. Windows yeah, true, true, true. was trying to communicate like the whole movie for whatever reason. This is before shit went down uh, to, to the outside to say, hey, we're still here. Storm's coming. Make sure you check in on us or something. I think they were just trying to put an SOS out before the storm came. So I'm assuming Antarctica winter storm coming. The winter they said was coming. The storm was rolling in. So I don't know. Maybe shit gets real. Maybe that's a drop, you know, like when the storm comes in Antarctica. I'm going with uh, what would you do from the alien perspective? I took over Max Body because, first of all, coolest beard. All right, he had that he had that wicked sombrero, <laughs> and a hundred percent badass. Uh, yeah, completely. He's already got the flamethrower. Like, hey, come on, <laughs> go around charring everyone. Like fire with fire. He's like, well, you can't. I got the fire. You can't kill me. I'm just gonna no. burn you all. All right. Works, works for me. Alien, you got it all wrong, man. Stop taking dogs. <laughs> yeah, aliens kind of, you know. I said like a, a superior a, life form, my ass. I was at a 10 minute argument with Andrea that I thought that that dog was a wolf at the beginning. <laughs> she's like, that's a husky. I'm like, that is a wolf. And then it gets back and it's like, it's like licking the people. It's a dog. I'm like, I still think it's a wolf. And then there was like 10 other dogs. And I'm like, look at this pack of wolves. <laughs> it's like <laughs> trying to convince her that these are wolves. But. They absolutely were not. Where were you going with that? Nowhere. No. <laughs> I, I lost you when you're like, Wolf Husky fight with Andrea. <laughs> it's funny. I was like, where are we going with this? Where- I think you said taking over a dog. And then I was like, uh, all right, all right. <laughs> taking over a wolf. <laughs> I was like, when are we going to land this ship in Antarctica? I guess somewhere, somewhere unknown. As soon as we find the Norwegian base, we're landing it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, number six. They ain't never going to be right. Do you have anything? Um, I guess the only real survivors that you can see at the end are Childs and Max. So I guess um, they ain't never going to be right. But to be honest with you, I look like Childs had the time of his life. So I guess it's Mac. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Max seemed already disturbed, right? He he was an alcoholic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe he he was going with... uh, yeah, with some uh, rosy colored glasses, but but Childs like that was like his dream come true. Like he looked like he was one of those like giddy as a schoolboy. Yeah, he's like, like, great, uh, man. Like, can we kill more of these things? Yeah, he like he was like I want to strap on more guns. So my they ain't never gonna be right. Kind of off off topic here, but it's a hundred percent true. Um, so at the end of the movie, did a little research as always. John Carpenter. Did not do the score, which was blasphemy. And the studio is my, they ain't never going to be right. They decided not to give John Carpenter the rights to do the score. So the studio in my book are the big losers. So when you talk about not hitting the numbers, you know, let the, let the chef cook, buddy. You know, let, let John Carpenter get in there and, and, and cook. Because that is his specialty on top of directing horror movies. Like, you know, I don't wh- I don't understand. What magic do they think was going to happen by bringing someone else in? Like, lightning is struck with this dude like 10 times. Like, he can write, direct, and do score for a film, and it's 
amazing. Yeah. It, 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 so to me, it was like the studio completely failed and botched it. At least let them try, right? Yeah. Like do a screen test or something and if the, if the music Not sucks. even. They just <laughs> said, no, we're going a different direction. And, and Carpenter was like, cool. Like kind of weird. I, I want to look into it and see if this is like a nepotism case or something, you know, where it's like the studio head's like younger, like brother or something. <laughs> yeah, which was like, he, he, the only reason why Carpenter liked him was because it was, that guy was just trying to be a poor man's version of Carpenter. So that's why when I was listening to the music and the score in the beginning, because obviously I didn't check those notes until after, I was like, oh, it's, you know, it it, it seemed right. Yeah, it's 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 it got seemed, a pattern to it, right, but it, it it just never it never clicked. And once I found that out, I was like, "Oh, aha! Like, why was there another guy? That's weird." Yeah, and, I wanted uh, to. I wanted to. We'll get into it, but I I really was like trying to pay close attention to as the soundtrack was progressing, and I was like, "It doesn't really progress." Nah. <laughs> no. So uh, next segment: alternate ending. Um, I guess for alternate ending, um, for me is that right before the film ends, you start to see Childs turn into the thing and it's sort of like Mac is doomed because they foreshadow it enough where you're like, okay, well, Childs could be the thing because he disappeared for a while during like the big ending scene and... They're both probably going to die if they are human. They're just stuck out they're gonna there. Die and, and have to get yeah, anyway. they're going to die. Yeah. So I think it would have just been interesting to see that for sure Childs lives on as the thing. And who knows, like when the next, when the storm's over and people go to find out what happened to the whole crew there, Childs then starts the next round of infecting more people and kind of goes on from there. Maybe they take him back in the plane. He comes back to the continental states and then it's like, we're we're back to that spread in three days, or I'm sorry, in uh, in three years, like they projected in the film. Yeah. So so with me, uh, because Childs and Mac are still alive in the end, um, they finally get an SOS communication out. They get saved. They go back to the states. Um, they become best friends. They take some of what they learned and became cops and. Boom, 48 hours, spinoff, and Beverly Hills Cop, buddy cop movies all day long with these two, because that would have been epic. Where were you, 1980s? How did you not take these two? Kurt Russell, it didn't even have to be like off this movie. You should have just packaged these two guys together uh, and just lethal sent, weapon and just sent them into the uh, buddy cop realm before all the other ones. You could have been the first. You could have been the first. You know, revision, revisionist history or hindsight 2020, whatever you want to call it, but these two had it. They had charisma. All they had to do is now parlay that into a buddy cop movie, and who knows? You got you got uh, you know even if it was a spinoff, you got Childs and Mac. Yeah, because I think uh, what Kurt Russell's only in one buddy cop movie that I'm aware of. Tango, Tango and Cash. Cash. Yeah. <laughs> um, great Which was film. many years later, right? Which is another was that? No, that was not Carpenter. No, he no. did uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Was did he do that one? I think he did. But I don't think that was a buddy cop movie. That was just no, no. That was just 
Kurt Russell. But Tango and Gash, yes. Yes. Didn't quite follow the, the typical formula. And there was like a good, they were both in prison for most of it, but it uh, still a good film. Yes. We're doing that next week, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have, we have a special treat at the end of the show of what we're doing next week. We've already hinted to it in this podcast. Mm-hmm. So if you've paid, paid attention, you might know. If you're not sleeping already. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's just go right into the soundtrack. We've already kind of beat it like a dead horse, but, uh, what do you got? So in general, um, I don't know. I, to be honest with you, like I listened after the film ended, I was like, all right, I got to go back and research the soundtrack a little bit because I feel like I didn't pay close enough attention to it in the film. Like it kind of like was background music. Um, but like listening to it on its own, like it's kind of shitty. I don't know. It's like the score itself is not good. It's like a lot of like droning, like single note. And then it's like, you were making fun of it upstairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before we just, even came down, you're, you're just like, not, not into it. It's it was, just like long and drawn out and there's nothing like special about it. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me except for like the heartbeat kind of thing in the beginning, which I thought was cool. And then maybe like. There's a couple like notes here and there that kind of give this like element of mystery, but otherwise, like it kind of it's like something I would sit down on a synthesizer and just like start playing notes and holding them out for like ten hours until I can figure out the next note I want to play, and that's kind of like what this score reminds yeah. me of. And it's just it's not special. And what's funny is like I was like maybe I have to like this because I don't want to I don't want to shit on it if it's like this great known soundtrack. And then I looked it up and it was like this film or this soundtrack won a Razzie yes. <laughs> for being worse score. So you're not the only one. A lot of people voted that and thought the same thing as you. So I think you're hundred percent. We were, uh, we were both on the same page. What was cool about it? You had some, you had at least Stevie Wonder's song, right? Superstition. Superstitious was awesome. Yeah, it was perfect. Great scene. Uh, it, was a, it was a great scene. That was the drop for me. Well, one of my drops was, was that scene when that song Roller skates, some dancing. And then the, it's kind of a comical part where the guy who had just been shot by the, so the Norwegian finally did hit somebody, but he hit one of the, one yeah. of the scientists. And he's <laughs> like, do you think you could turn that music down a little bit? I just got shot. And then the guy goes over to the radio and just pretends to like, doesn't even really pretend to turn it down and then just like walks away and it stays at the same volume. And it's, yeah, it's just like a kind of a funny scene. But. Yeah, lyrics fit. The, the song played very well. Uh, I think he did some notes. I think that came out in what, 1972? 72, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I thought it was kind of funny. Wow, they bought the rights for this song. Very famous song by Stevie Wonder. Uh, so it was pretty cool. I was very happy in 2021 to hear that movie, that song, come on a soundtrack for the thing. It was, it was perfect. So with me, I'm just going to give it, I've given lower scores, but I'll give it a five. I've, I've, I think, uh, I think what, uh, Friday, the 13th part eight, I gave a four. Yeah. So I'll give this one a five. I mean, 82, like, they could have really done some good stuff with it. And again, I think they did the right thing with, I I love Stevie Wonder. I love that. I love when the films put in, like, a pop song in a horror movie where it's like, and this one's, again, like, lyrically is very foreshadowing. couple, like, lyrics. Sing it. Uh, I'm not going to sing it, oh, but okay. uh, very superstitious. Writings on the wall. You got you to gotta wake them up. 
You gotta, <laughs> you gotta wake these people. Hey, wake up, people. <laughs> anyway, go on. Sorry. Uh, so writing's on the wall. Ladder's about to fall. Um, when you believe in things that you don't understand, then you suffer. And then we've got... Um, well, um, very superstitious devils on his way. Um, just like it's, it's a lot about like what's going to happen. And so I think it's in a quiet part before the dog turns into that Demogorgon. So it's, uh, it, it just like, it's very fitting, yeah. even though maybe it wasn't intentional, but it just it had this, like, if you are paying attention to the lyrics as it's happening, you're like, okay. What do we got? Is this like, because again, I think as, um, as folks that are going to go in and like kind of review the film, we're trying to see like, if it's a pop song or something, like, is it there for a specific reason? Like, is it fitting with the scene or something? I think this one does, but yeah, I think, um, overall that, that saved it for me. Otherwise the, the soundtrack is like a four. So I'm giving it a six. Yeah, so I think with Stevie Wonder, if I were, if I were whoever, if he still owns the rights, family owns the rights, whoever to his music, if I were them, he's still and, alive, right? Okay, I did look that up. I know he's still alive, but I'm just saying, like, you should protect that song, or protect it in a manner that, or not protect it, but make sure that that song lives on in horror movies for the next fifty years. Yes, because it does work for probably a haunted house uh satanic movie anything all you got to do is make sure those rights are available to blumhouse and <laughs> let them just pepper that song into a bunch of movies because not a fantastic song by a fantastic artist mm-hmm. and it fits every horror movie genre you want to think everyone you know maybe that will you know, jump the shark, in it. but Blumhouse, you might want to jump in on that. You know, you know, if, if, if it's a future stock, I'm in, I'm buying heavy Yep. on that stock. Cause it's like, I'd start stock, talking to Stevie Wonder right now and just be like, you know what? I just want to own the rights for the next 20 years. going to pepper in a couple movies. And I guess I guarantee that movie will sell extra just cause of that song. It, it works. It works well. So Yeah, and I, I can't think of any other Stevie Wonder songs that would fit. <laughs> no, Isn't think... she lovely? I don't know. <laughs> but Right, when you're just reading off those lyrics, I'm like, man, that just fits everywhere. Every Left, you know, left, right, and center. So, um, all right, so I got, I gave it a five. a five, and you got what? You gave it a six. A six, man, a four. you're always so generous with these. Uh... It, it, again, it would have been a four for me because at least there was music in it, but uh, <laughs> I think I feel like I gave like Texas Chainsaw like an eight, and there was like... <laughs> A couple like uh, like bike spoke sounds or something, and like a fart maybe. So, I mean, this one got worse than that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think uh, just the fact that they put in that Stevie Wonder song to me, like really, like was a musical highlight of the film. So that's why I'm giving it a six. Yeah, that makes sense. You, you push it over the edge, above five hundred. Um, all right, so that ends this show right here. Right? Are we all? Are you good? Yeah, I guess it's like a quick like summary that um, really cool film. Like in general, I think that you could, I think you could put this same film out, maybe like updated a little bit, but like if the same cast, 
Like again, we're watching it with 2021 like lenses on, and I feel like if if this film you if you told me this film came out now, other than the fact that the most of the actors are probably dead at this point, um, I think it holds up. Like I I still would be impressed by the graphics and stuff, except for like the really cheesy like spaceship and then like the really bad computer graphics. All the like actual makeup and, and effects and stuff are really good in that, in my opinion. And um, I think the fact that they build a lot of character development and there's a lot of um, good dialogue. And I think the one thing that separates this from a typical horror film, um, I think like around this same time or in the genre in general, is the acting is very good, right? Like yes. the interplay between the characters, the actual dialogue. Do you and, know who, the, who, wrote, who wrote this screenplay? Um, I don't remember. Same dude that uh, Bad News Bears. Well, fitting. Yeah. So he wrote <laughs> Bad News Bears part one and two, and this was his third, and then he quit. Well, he was done. We, because I think the movie takes so much that <laughs> I have no idea. But the guy was just gave up. But I'm not poo-pooing him. I'm just saying I I thought the same thing. I thought it was well done. A great movie. Really well acted. Yeah. And then I had to figure out who wrote the screenplay, and it was this guy. And I was like, wow, he just stopped after that because – who knows? But I was like, it got bad reviews and maybe he just like, couldn't live with it. I, I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunate. But yeah, a- acting and everything was very good. And so um, definitely recommend a watch. Um, we both watched it on Stars. Stars, yeah. Um, but I'm sure, again, it's probably if you want to pay a couple bucks and, and get it on Amazon or um, it's probably floating around somewhere else. Um, but uh, uh, I, yeah. Good Go watch. As always, all of our movies, whatever we do, uh, we're not here to fuck bash a movie and, and you know, well, we haven't yet. We may. <laughs> we may. But uh, so far, we're always very positive. And this is one that, you know, for the full one hour and 48 minutes, super entertaining. It's action. Um, and we're, I'm going to parlay that into what we're going to do next episode because I've already hijacked that from you, Eric. We are doing The Predator. We are doing the predator. So when you talk about a version that gets better, it's called the predator. And I can't wait. Sci-fi action. And at my point, in my view, people might go horror movie. People might say, you're out of your mind. In my opinion, it has horror elements. It is a slasher film. It is a predator hunting people and massacring them. Very similar to, this movie. So in my mind, the thing opened the doors to the Predator. Um, yeah. I mean, and you can tell because like I think money wise, the film did great. So we're talking about nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. Um, same budget, fifteen million. Same amount of time, hour and forty seven minutes. <laughs> um box office, uh ninety eight million. Well, you you got to understand why. Well, yeah. Instead of Kurt Russell, you have Arnold Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger, um, Carl Weathers, Jesse Ventura. So wrestling fans rejoice. Um, It's going to be epic. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I am definitely lumping this into a horror genre for this podcast. No, I I think it is. And again, we're we're coming off of, um, you know... uh, Terminator, Commando, um, a lot of other films from um, like Conan, um, from Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I think he was a big draw because he was just doing all the best movies at that time. 
Uh, but it was I, obviously at the time, 1987, publicized as an action movie, right? Yeah, but I, I think my favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movie came out the year after, Twins. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> I love twins. It is. It is Can you weird. imagine Danny DeVito as Predator? <laughs> That'd be a movie I'd watch. No, but who is the Predator? Oh, um, oh, I just had it. Michael Hall. Uh, Kevin Peter Hall. Kevin Peter Hall. Why does that name sound familiar to us? Um, it doesn't sound familiar to me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he was Harry. He was he was Harry and Harry and Hendersons. He okay. was he was Bigfoot. Uh, for all those eighties eighties kids, man, you know he, he is a a astounding seven foot three. Yes, actor that plays these like mythical roles. Died very young. Yes, probably. I don't know if it was due to his size. I'm not. Yeah, probably. Looking it up, but. Um, you got to pump a lot of blood from that heart if you're seven foot three. It's but, probably like uh, Andre, Andre the Giant, right? Yep. Um, oh, so he, he killed himself in other ways, but true. So still a big man with it. Yep. And R.I.P. But yeah, we're gonna come back uh, guns a blazing. Yes, I, I might even L- wear camo for literally. The next. <laughs> yes, uh, I am definitely putting some war paint on. Uh, so giddy up. That I, that's gonna be a fun episode. I, I think it's just one of my favorite movies. Anyway, so I'm I'm very excited. I don't even, I don't even think I have to rewatch it. I could just walk in. I could just parlay it right into this pod right now if I had to. It's been <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen it, so I definitely have to go. Back I owned and watch it. it. <laughs> My parents again, as I've always said, uh, they taped it on HBO at one point, and I owned it for the. For the rest of my life, and <laughs> it was it was awesome. Uh, Jay, piracy is a crime. <laughs> Hope you know that. Oh my God, I, here I am putting it on the podcast waves. Uh, so uh, forgive me, uh, New Line Cinema or whoever did the movie. <laughs> I don't know who did it. Yeah, Probably Tricolor or yeah, Tricolor or Lionsgate. <laughs> one of those. One of those. Uh, I don't know who's gonna. We'll find out when we get the cease and yeah. desist in the mail. That's how we'll know who made this film. <laughs> ah, all right, Ole. It was on a VHS, man. That thing doesn't exist anymore, so it's not like I'm. That's true. The the the, uh, <laughs> the evidence is gone. <laughs> yeah. What is the uh, statute uh, of limitations on that? <laughs> uh, pretty sure it's thirty five years. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> can't be. Can't be. All right. Anyway, let's end the podcast here. Under an hour. Woohoo! Peace out. Later. Later.